Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Josh Bickford with me. Josh is a serial maker of things. He designs and builds things like Bear Metrics, which is analytics for your Stripe account. He also created Temper and Pop Survey. Josh had solved design and development problems for companies like Adobe, AOL, Dell, and even a U.S. presidential candidate. Welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here, Josh. How did you end up working with companies like Adobe, AOL, and Dell? Um, so uh, there's a, a period of time where I was focused almost completely on uh, kind of consulting client work, that kind of stuff. And it was uh, always just word of mouth stuff. So a friend of a friend, I, I was doing a ton of projects. And so I ended up working with a lot of different people. And then over the, the course of a couple of years, you know, they would move into different roles. And so uh, kind of just through word of mouth, really. And then you were a freelance designer or programmer? Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I went to school for graphic design. And while I was in college, I kind of picked up uh, the programming side of things out of necessity. And, um, and so I, I would usually do like UI work was what it started off as. And then on the tail end of when I was doing consulting work, it kind of had morphed into this like full stack. I'll design, do the front end and the back end dev for you kind of thing. So from, from college, you went into a freelancer slash consultant role immediately. Correct. I, uh, there was a seven-week period where I was employed uh, for an interactive <laughs> design firm in Denver, Colorado. And uh, that was like I, I was newlywed. Like, so I'm from Mississippi, and uh, my wife and I went to school there. And um, so like, we got married uh, one week. The next week we moved out to Colorado. The next week after that, I got this job at an interactive firm, and then seven weeks later, I I quit it. Um, Why did you quit? It it was it was like the pay was awful. I mean, I was getting paid like maybe thirty thousand, and like I just I knew a like spending a couple of hours in a in you know stop and go traffic plus like making thirty grand a year. It, I, it just wasn't worth it. Um, and, and I didn't have any ownership in that, you know, like that was kind of a big deal to me was like owning something that I, I build. Um, and that, that kind of stuff just wouldn't, wouldn't do yeah. it for me. So, so it took you a whole seven weeks to say, this is not for me. And yeah. were you worried at all when you quit? Did you quit with having some clients already? Or it was just, you know what, I can't live like this and I don't care what's going to happen. I'm not going to work for these guys. Now, so I, in college I was doing, um, I had already started kind of doing some um, freelance work. Um, and a lot of that stuff, so I mean, I played in like in bands in college, and so I had work from like record labels and things like that. So I, that was kind of a lot of what my first clients' work were kind of were were kind of in the music industry, and um, so and that pretty much word of mouth, or did you do anything else to market yourself? No, I've it's 100% word of mouth and just like making connections with people, and um, you know, like friends would end up at like. A lot, like a lot of it really did kind of funnel through the music industry, which was interesting. Just, you know, people in bands would, I would be buddies with, and then they would end up getting like signed to some labels and then those labels would hire me. And then those people from those labels would go to other labels and it just kind of was all word of mouth. 
Are you a musician? Uh, I, I'm not. I would not call myself a musician now. Uh, but there was there was probably a, a ten year period where yeah, I was uh, dedicated a lot of time to music. Okay. Okay. So how long were you working as a freelancer slash consultant before you started to think about some product ideas like um, you know Temper or Pop Survey? Sure. So I mean, I think. Like historically, I've I've always been kind of had or had this sort of entrepreneurial mindset. Um, I mean, like even as a kid, like going out and like hustling to cut yards for neighbors or like like baking stuff and selling it or, you know, like always trying to find ways that to sort of like sell something, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, and so even so then like in college when I had started I was already kind of doing some web design stuff and it started picking up programming stuff. I, my first like real taste of like, Oh man, I can make some money doing like something other than just making stuff for other people, like building something. Um, I I would do, I would build sites. So like ad revenue, you used to be able to make a ton of money off ads um, with relatively little work. So this was, this would have been like early 2000. Um, and so, so give me an example. So what so, kind okay. of site would you put together and right. what kind of, yeah. So I would, so the first kind of site that like actually made some money, at least for a college kid was worth something was, uh, I had a site called really fun and then another site called really dumb stuff.com. Um, and so like great stuff to me, <laughs> so, so like high quality stuff here. And then, an, oh, and then another site called tutorial outpost. So all three of these sites were ultimately, like me curating things. So like really fun arcade was like, you know, like these flash arcade games were huge, uh, you know, in early two thousands, like this is, you know, so far before an iPhone or anything like that. And so I would curate, like find all these different games to play and put them in these, you know, different categories and stuff like that. And you could comment on the games that you're playing and things like that. And so, but I would add, I would put ads, uh, you know, next to all this stuff. And I mean, I was, I think at one point at the height of it all, I was probably pulling in like anywhere from like three to $5,000 a month. Um, not bad for college. No, it was great for college, you know? So like I I'm have virtually no expenses. So it's, it was awesome. And, uh, and that's probably like when it like hit me, like, and I think that was the big reason that I had no problem leaving that job in Denver after only seven weeks was like, I'm, I'm killing it doing like off ad revenue, which requires almost no work. And so why would I, you know, work a nine to five? Yeah. So even when you were working for that seven weeks, you were generating ad revenue from these sites? Yes. And it was, I mean, that was sort of a thing like shortly thereafter, I think I kind of, I had an inkling that the ad revenue stuff wasn't going to stick around a long time. Like I figured it's sort of a bubble, like this, this won't keep up forever. Um, so and was it a bubble? Oh yeah, I mean within so that was I think 2005 was when I had that job for a few weeks and by 2006 or 7 things had really kind of started hitting the fan. And mm-hmm. um oh and I forgot I have so many different random sites. So there was this one other site called the appleblog.com. Um and so this was like my foray into journalism. Uh, but still like I wasn't really doing any of the writing. I had convinced people to 
right for me. And same thing, it was like ad revenue based. Um, but that ultimately, so that, so sites like really fun arcade and tutorial outpost, I would, I ultimately sold those for, I mean, I don't know, probably under 10 grand a piece. Um, but then the Apple blog got acquired, um, by a big tech publication called GigaOM. Yeah, um, I saw that in your angel list uh, profile. So yeah, so they, yeah. they acquired the Apple blog in, in 2000, okay, might have been 2008, 2007, 2008, I can't remember exactly. And, um, so like at that point, I think that was a real turning point for me in that like, okay, so this is legit. Like I can build a business. And um, so how did they, first of all, how did you find writers? You mentioned you convinced some people to write. How, how did that happen? So I think it's somewhat unique to that. In, so the Apple industry as a whole. So people that love Apple are like kind of Apple fanatics. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so getting saying like, I will, I will get you free stuff to review in exchange for you writing. Um, was a was an easy way to get started. Now it wasn't these weren't all like product reviews, but like they were that as sort of payment. They were happy to write about Apple because I already love Apple and the fact that they got some free cool like tech gear mm-hmm. uh was sort of a it, that was enough payoff for them. Eventually it moved into like I was cutting checks every month for these people. Um but to start off like I got I had probably a dozen people writing for me when I with zero overhead as far as uh, like me having to pay them goes. And then selling the Apple blog, did you actually reach out to somebody or someone, this company just found you basically? So they knew about me. So the Apple blog had started gaining pretty good steam. I mean, it was it, like, it was one of the bigger sort of Apple related sites at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they were familiar with it already. And then we had a mutual friend um, who ultimately made the intro and then, uh, within a few weeks of that intro, it was it was a done deal. Okay. And what happened when you sold it? Uh, what, did you stop doing stuff for a while, or did you continue? Uh, what was the impact of uh, on your life? So I so as part of that sale, I was on board for a couple of years and sort of a uh, like helping build it. Um, and so I was on board there for a couple of years while still doing. Like I was building other products at the same time um, and still doing a little bit of like random consulting work. Uh, and so that was I was juggling a bunch of different stuff at the time that wasn't taking up all my time. So when were you actually building start to build products uh, and so, why? Well, right, how did right. you get into that whole thing? So the, the, my first what I would call a product like a, or at least a web service kind of thing um, was back in 2000, um, we'll say probably 2006, 2007. So, uh, and I had another business, uh, called Fugitive Toys. So this was a, an e-commerce site. My wife and I ran, we had like, this was, we had, we sold actual toys. These are collectible art toys kind of thing. Like, um, so we sold these like out of our house, uh, we had a basement full of these collectible toys. And as part of that, I was always ordering product from a lot of times overseas. And, um, and so I wanted to track all of those packages to figure out kind of where they were. So I built this package tracking application. Uh, I was going to keep it internal. And then ultimately 
decided to just put it out there and see if anybody wanted it. So this is called Track the Pack. And um, so I built that for myself and then, you know, let pe- eventually let other people start signing up for it. And, uh, and then eventually I turned it into this sort of commercial thing. So like other e-commerce sites could offer package tracking on their site. So instead of sending someone to UPS or FedEx or something like that, they could just give the package tracking information directly to their customers on their site. Um, and that didn't do great from a business perspective, but that was, that was one of those uh, sort of my first taste as far as an actual sort of software as a service kind of thing. And how many people actually or businesses ended up using it approximately? Um, I mean, was it 10, a hundred, a thousand? So I think we had, so, so there was two different sides to it. There was, uh, there were personal, like this would be like a consumer focused thing. Uh, and then there was a commercial side, like a B2B kind of thing. Um, on the consumer side, there were, I think, like 20 or 30,000 free users. These are just people not paying anything. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, there might have been a couple hundred who are paying like 25 bucks a year. And then on the commercial side, I think the most I ever had was maybe a couple dozen people paying anywhere from like, 10 bucks a month to like a hundred dollars a month. Um, and so, I mean, it wasn't making anything significant. And so it ultimately just, I shut it down a couple of years back. Okay. And, um, when did you start or get the idea for pop survey? So pop survey is an interesting, uh, interesting story. Uh, I actually was consulting at the time. Um, this was 2010, I think. And uh, ultimately st- came on board with Pop Survey as like the developer on it. So I was getting the guys who initially had the idea. I was getting paid as the just a freelance developer. And then by the time we launched it, I had moved into this like co-founder slash CEO role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that. That was, I mean, that's kind of how that changed. In, in 2011, I officially moved into like the co-founder. CEO role and um, so that yeah that's how I moved into that and then Temper was an offshoot of Pop Survey that uh, we kind of came up with uh, I guess about a year and a half ago um, but it's part of the same company as far as uh, Pop Survey the company yeah uh, you know I really like about Temper you know that it has that um, you know the the smiley the smiley yep. face because. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know if you can maybe describe it quickly so those people in the audience that don't know, and then I'll, 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 I'll talk about that. But how does Temper work? So Temper is a way to track customer satisfaction across your business. So you have this three smiley face system where you can put those in emails or there's like a pop-up tab that you can put in a website or you can embed it on any page in your website. And and within with any interaction that you have with your customer, you could include those smileys and then have them rate it. And then what that does is gives you this graph that shows you sort of a trend of customer satisfaction over time. Um, and so that's that's the basic gist of it. I really like that it's kind of a gut reaction outlet, you yeah. know, because a lot of times you don't really want to take the time to take a survey, but if you have just, you can just say, you know, a happy face or whatever, a green or a red, it gives you kind of a quick gut reaction, you know, as opposed to, well, I don't have to take 10 minutes or five minutes to take a survey. Right, totally. 
So I, I think I think I, I wish every site would have it and every phone call would have it. So at the end, you could just give a give a quick response to your experience. Sure. Um, so where did the idea for Temper come from? So Temper, the so Pop surveys a, at the end of the day is ultimately like a traditional survey system. Um, you know, you think of like SurveyMonkey or any other survey platform. It's got some unique stuff about it uh, as far as the way that you take the surveys. Um, but the initial thing was the survey industry has a ton of uh, turnover because people don't send a bunch of surveys. I mean, you, most people would send a survey once or twice a year. And so churn is super high for that industry. And uh, so the, the first thought was like, we've got to come up with a way to keep people around longer that that like we can't build a business with this much churn because you know, we need something that people can use on a daily basis. So that was the initial idea. And then we found, so pop survey uses these smiley faces for rating scale stuff. So if you know, like, Hey, rate this, typically you would say like rate this zero or one to five or zero to 10. And instead of using numbers, we used smiley faces just cause it's sort of, it's easier to, for people to relate to that than, uh, you know, a number. And so we decided to pull that out into temper uh, and pull it off into its own, own product and, and kind of go from there. And so how did you come up with the whole idea for the smiley face? Uh, did you see it somewhere or there no, was it, an experiment? It ca- I mean, that was, that was one of those things that was part of pop survey early on. I mean, I mean, almost from day one, I don't, I don't remember exactly how we kind of settled on using smileys instead of mm-hmm. uh, numbers. I mean, that was, yeah, that was like core to Pop Survey really early on. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really unique way of uh, dealing with it, I think. So let's talk about bare metrics. Um, how did you come up with the idea for bare metrics? Sure. So Pop Survey and Temper both use Stripe uh, for handling payment stuff, and uh, I had needed for a long time a way to get those sort of business metrics from pop survey and temper. So monthly recurring revenue, lifetime value, churn, all these things. And uh, I knew how to calculate them. You could load all this stuff up in a spreadsheet and manually do it, or I could hook up any number of other sort of custom analytics platforms. Um, But the problem I always had with, with all of those was that it required so much work on my part to either a set up, um, which was, like a, the perfect opportunity for me to screw it up and throw all my numbers off, or B, it took up so much time to manually comp, uh, uh, calculate all these things in, in spreadsheets and have to constantly keep it updated and that stuff. So I knew that Stripe had all this, pretty much all the data I needed, um, and it was a matter of me just pulling it out of Stripe. And so I, I one day in October of this past year, Decided I was just going to build something for myself, and then uh, a month later, launched it. Okay, so it took you, so basically from idea to validation to product, it took about a month? There was, there was no validation, except I turned on the site and people started giving me money. I mean, like, I didn't try to validate anything. I, I was going to build it regardless because I needed it. And kind of so, a scratch your own itch? 100% of? that, yeah, totally. Like I was the the week before I launched it, I I was very close to not launching it at all because I uh, I was I was talking to my wife 
like before I launched it, like saying like, I don't need a third SaaS product to manage. Like <laughs> this is, this is already out of hand. I don't need any more stuff on my plate. And, uh, but ultimately like after I started talking to some other buddies who also have, you know, have SaaS businesses and use Stripe, it was like, you know, they were all like, Oh, I want this. Like, well, okay. So, uh, so I decided to go ahead and just push it out the door and it, it hit a nerve. So, so let's talk about marketing and building, um, you know, customer base for Bear Metrics and Pop Survey and Tamper. I wonder if you could compare the two. Is the experience was it the same? Did you have the same marketing strategy? How 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 is the two experiences different? Uh, they're very so really very very different. Um, Pop Survey and Tamper. The the problem with them is they like those markets well so pop surveys market is super competitive i mean you, you know if you say online surveys to anyone you know what do you think of you think of survey monkey mm-hmm. and uh so that's an extremely hard market to compete in um and then the temper thing the problem there is like it's a solution looking for a problem there's there aren't people who are looking for customer satisfaction tracking tools Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just not a problem. That, like, when people see it, they're like, oh, okay, cool. I would love to have that info. But it's not solving some major pain for them. Um, and so those are very hard products to sell, whereas Barometrics is, uh, is an instant sell for, for most people. Like if you use Stripe, you know that Stripe doesn't have great analytics in their, uh, in their dashboard as it is. So you see, okay, I can click one button and get all these metrics, yeah, absolutely, I'll pay for that. And so it's I don't have to do so much work trying to convince people that they should sign up um, or pay for it. Um, that's the major difference. Yeah, it's it's funny because I interviewed uh, the CEO of Listly, and he, he told me the same thing, that if the product doesn't sell itself, then there is something wrong with the product. And not 100% itself, but he says you know, that it has to pull itself forward, you know, uh, and it sounds like Bear Metrics is doing that as opposed to Pop Survey is all about you guys have to sell it and compete in a super highly competitive area. Sure. And the, and the market's really different, too. So like Pop Survey is super focused on like the marketer person kind of or the researcher within a company, whereas um, and a lot of times they have to get permission to spend the money that they need to for Pop Survey, whereas Bear Metrics is uh, targeted at the business owner, really. And they're happy to, like, they need this this information desperately. And a lot of them are already spending a ton of time manually doing it themselves. And so the prospect of them, like, you know, being able to get this stuff with no work is is a, is a huge selling point. And, and how, ma- how many people are using uh, your products, uh, starting with Bear Metrics uh, today? Sure. So Bear Metrics cu- current customer count like uh, two twenty or something like that. So that's all paying. We don't have a free plan, so that's all paying customers. Why no free plan? How did you decide that? So I don't. It comes down to value, right? So a lot of times the reason for the a, a freemium sort of business model or pricing plan setup is that you need to use that as a time for them to for people to like realize the value that they're getting so let them kind of see some of the the tool try it out um and then hopefully they'll eventually upgrade to a paying plan uh for bare metrics it's 
it's kind of instant. I mean, there's this there's this small window of time where we have to pull in all of your Stripe data and, and kind of generate it for the first time. But for all practical purposes, it's instant. There's not this setup period where you have to do a lot of work. That's another reason for people to have free plans is a lot of times there's a lot of setup work involved to get uh, people onboarded. And again, like bare metrics is there's not that it's instant value. And so for me, I mean, I, if I, if, if your business is offering another business value, there's no reason that someone shouldn't be paying for it. Uh, it, but people, businesses, legit businesses, businesses that you want for customers don't have a problem paying for things that solve problems for them. And some and, uh, would not even want it free. Uh, I mean, oh, I even totally. heard people say, you know, if it's free, I don't want it because you either go out of business or there's something wrong with it. Well, so, and it's, a, it's, again, it's like positioning the value that you're offering, right? So if you position yourself as the free product, well, like if it's free, then it's probably not doing a lot. Like there's... If something's worth something, then you, you charge for it. Now, not everybody has that mindset. And people who are early on in their businesses and aren't making much money tend to have this sort of, you know, oh, I'm not going to pay for that. Well, it's just because they don't have any money. So businesses that have money uh, have no problem paying for things. Yeah, and you know it saves them. It saves them time, and that's what that's what it does. Bare metrics. I think I heard somebody say they want they love this product so much they want to kiss you on the mouth. I forgot the name of the person, <laughs> but you know when you hear that, that's a good sign. You know that's a real yeah, good sign. Totally. Uh, so how about Pop Survey and Temper? How many users are using those uh, apps? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Honestly, like those both those products were in the process of of selling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I, those are sort of on autopilot at this point. I'm 100% focused on bare metrics, mm-hmm. um, so I'm not. Honestly, don't even know uh, mm-hmm. off the top of my head on those project on those products. Okay, okay. Uh, let's talk about challenges running a SaaS business. So you know, it sounds great for a lot of people that are web designers and you know consultants out there. I think they all want some kind of a SaaS product, but there has to be some challenges around it. So let's talk about that. What are some of the biggest challenges running bare metrics? Uh, biggest challenge is probably. I think right now the biggest problem we have, uh, and this is sort of unique to the sort of a metrics analytics world, um, is helping people know what to do with their metrics or what to or what the metrics mean. Like you can tell them what the lifetime value of our customer is, but what do they do with that? Like how does that have an impact on their business? Just just having the knowledge of what the LTV is. So we've been doing a lot of uh, educating people. So I started this SaaS Metrics Academy thing to help people know what to do with the metrics and how they can improve them and those kind of things. And there's so much, so much stuff that we still have have work to do in that regard. Um, but that's a so big... Do you like tell them like if, if the, uh, the lifetime value of the customer is like a thousand bucks and you can spend this much to acquire a new customer and this is why type of thing? And yeah, totally. Video. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of stuff. Like, you know, here's LTV is so important because it basically determines what, you know, what you can spend on customer acquisition. And uh, so yeah, there's just all sorts of that kind of stuff to just help them know what to do with it better. And, um, so that's a unique problem to us. But I mean, I think a lot of SaaS businesses in general have some common problems. And I think a lot of that has to do with, um, one, I think most SaaS products aren't solving real problems. And that's why most of them fail. 
Um, but then at the same time, even if they are solving a real problem, most people are really bad at selling things or marketing those things. So like, they're not good at conveying what pain is actually being solved. Um, and I think that ends up being like the downfall of a lot of, of products. What about churn? Is that a, it ha, has that been an issue for you with bear metrics? Yeah, I mean, so there's user churn and revenue churn. Uh, user churn doesn't bother me that much. Uh, our numbers, the number of customers we have isn't huge. So there's not this big sample set. So, you know, a couple people cancel and it throws the percentage off a lot. And mm -hmm. so the, the, num the user churn doesn't bother me. I, I don't pay attention to it that much. Um, revenue churn bothers me some because that's, you know, that's what affects like how much, you know, if, if I've got a lot of revenue churn or if revenue churn outpaces uh, MRR growth, then you end up losing money. And so um, that's when I, like it's higher than I want it to be now. But I mean, at the same time, the business is only seven, eight months old. So we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what customers want long term. Um, and I think we're, we're on the right track in that regard. So you, you have a, a product that, I mean, you, you tried other products, you mentioned, you know, several of them, you know, and, and it looks like bare metrics is different. It looks like, you know, it's just a little bit easier, uh, takes off a little bit more easily than these others. How long, how long do you think we should, if, if somebody has a similar product, so try something, how long before you should say, you know, it's time for me to try something else? Sure. I, I wrote about this. Well, actually, I gave a talk about this um, back in April, I think, uh, at a conference called Bacon Biz in Philadelphia, uh, talking about the like, four signs that your business is dying, I think is what it was called. And, uh, and so I gave a few different metrics there that I think like kind of help drive uh, or should be an indicator of when things might not be looking so hot and you might should move on to something else. Um, and I'm trying to think what some of those are off the top of my head. Uh, some of those are like, so if you're a year in and you've, you, your monthly recurring revenue is less than $2,000. So for a lot of people, you, you don't even know what's a, like a normal number. What's a normal, like, you know, after a year, how much money should I be making? And that varies a lot from people from person to person, obviously. But, um, at the same time, take that $2,000 in recurring revenue after a year. If, if, if you're not able to, to make more than that after that much time, chances are you're not solving like a big enough problem. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think those kinds of things, like checking out, checking into your metrics and knowing, okay, these things are sort of, you can't overcome them. So things like, uh, if the average revenue per, per user is less than 20 bucks, like you're not making much money on a per customer basis. And if you can't get that higher, you're, you're going to have a really hard time building a business because if you're only making a few bucks per customer, you have to have so many customers to be able to make a legitimate business. Um, or if you have really high churn, like if it's over 25%, then you're, you're, you're bleeding out a quarter of your customers every month. And that you can't possibly grow fast enough to overcome that. And so just looking into your metrics and, and sort of being honest with yourself that there are, there are easier things to tackle, more profitable ideas than what you're currently working on, I think requires, you have to kind of get out of the tunnel vision that you, it's easy to have. 
And it's a good thing to move on too, right? I Absolutely. mean, it's a bad thing to just grab onto stuff when you're going down with it, right? So it's actually a good thing if you if you can say, realize that you know I'm a year in, there these are the metrics and they're not working. I I need to look elsewhere. Totally, and I think in some cases it's just you might not be the right person for the job. So pop survey and temper, like uh, in the process of of working on selling those, it's not that those are inherently bad businesses. It's that I don't personally have the right expertise to keep running them and, and grow them. Um, there's somebody else who has would likely have more interest in that or have certain skill sets that I don't have for those kinds of industries and those kinds of businesses. Uh, and so it's not that those necessarily need to be just shut down. It's that somebody else might be better for it. And, you know, like I think each person brings a certain skill set to the table and so working on things that kind of play into your skill sets, I think, also is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I actually sold a business that is running fine now, but it just was not the right business for me. And it's 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 a successful business today, you know, totally. but it was I had to, you know what, this is not for me. I hate it <laughs> here. Yeah. Take it. And I sold it and it's all good, you know. So instead of trying to become somebody you are not, I think it's a good thing to do. You know, uh, we're like at 30 minutes or so. Thirty. I have like two more questions. Do you have time for that? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, go okay. ahead. Uh, so what I have a few uh, entrepreneurial questions. Uh, what is the most important thing for an entrepreneur to do during the first months of being in business, in your opinion? What should they focus on? Shipping something. So uh, I think most people get caught up in the building a product or trying to do this sort of weird validation thing, like trying to figure out if anybody will pay for their product before they have a product. Um, and I think people spend too much time too much time trying to mitigate risk. And the fact is that like, being an entrepreneur is just it's just risky. And the sooner you can get something out the door and actually feel uh, get a feel for if anybody will pay for that, the sooner you can either say, yeah, this is great. This is a great idea or no, let me move on. And I think uh, in those first few months, people get misled by things like uh having this landing page that collects email addresses and they get a thousand email addresses and they've somehow convinced themselves that that validates their business idea, but nobody ever gave them a dollar, you know? So mm -hmm. you can't, so it ends up people get, they get misled. They go down the wrong path based on, you know, some weird bad validation technique and, uh, and they waste their time. So I think the, it's extremely important to ship a, a product that, people will pay for and figure out if people will pay for it. If they want, you should keep trying something else. So we're still talking about the first uh, one year. What should they not focus on? What should entrepreneurs not spend their time on that you see that they're, they're spending time on from your own experience or people that you know in business? Um, this might go against kind of the fit, like, you know, what I'm building here, but bare metrics, I think, I think people can get too obsessed with certain metrics or the wrong metrics. So I think early on people start worrying about the lifetime value of a customer or churn rates um, when they don't have any customers. You know, like I'll have people who sign up and they've got 10 customers and they're like, my churn rate's super high or, you know, like one person canceled and my churn rate just went up 10%. Well, it's like, well, yeah, you've got 10 customers, of course. So they, they focus on these numbers that at the stage of their business – 
do not matter one bit. So for bare metrics, the, the focus, especially the first few months, was 100% on MRR, so the monthly recurring revenue. That's the only thing that I worried about from a metric standpoint. Um, because that's what let me stay in business. Yeah. If you could teach somebody just one thing about being a successful entrepreneur, that's you know based on all your adventures, entrepreneurial adventures, what would that one thing be? Uh, get good at selling. Um, I think most people are really bad at being salespeople, uh, and they're scared to talk to people about the product or to convince people why they should pay for stuff. Um, and that's... It's not just like talking about getting on the phone with people, but that translates to the kind of copy that you write for your marketing site. Like, I think people are just really bad at sales, and I'm not I'm not some like great guy at it, but uh, I think I've gotten a lot better. And I and I think that's a thing that most a lot of new entrepreneurs lack is this ability to sell stuff. Well, Josh, thank you very much for coming on Success Harbor today to share your story. How can people find more about find out more about Bear Metrics or or connect with you, perhaps? Sure. So you can Bear Metrics. You can find it at bearmetrics.io. Uh, and then if you want to get in touch, either shoot me an email, Josh at joshpigford.com, or find me on Twitter at Spigford. That's S H P I G F O R D. Well, thank you very much, Josh. And everybody, check out Bear Metrics. I'm going to have the link to your site in the show notes. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me, George.